Amen. Amen. You all can have a seat. It's good to be together to sing those words of truth that God is so good to us and we really are here to taste and to see that he's good. That's what happens when we sing to him, when we open up his word. So we're so glad that you're joining us and that you get to do that with us today. Uh, as Maddie said, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, I want to welcome you. Love to meet you after the service. And uh, if you've been with us this summer, you know that we have been working our way through the book of Proverbs. And uh, it's been a fun journey. One of the big kind of pictures that we've been taking away from this book is that that there really is a difference just between facts, between head knowledge, and between wisdom. See, uh, wisdom actually, it, it requires us to have knowledge, but to really have wisdom, we need not just the head knowledge, but we need to actually apply the truths of the knowledge that we have so that we can live out the abundant, full life that God has for us. That's what the Proverbs have taught us. And so we've walked through many different topics. I know for me, uh, the month of July, I was off from teaching, so I just got to sit like you all have got to sit and kind of soak in the different teachings from some of our pastors and pastors in training. And uh, every, every teaching throughout this series, you know, I'm just constantly amazed uh, at this reality. I've said it before, but I'm just continually amazed that this was, these Proverbs, these, these wise sayings, they were written thousands of years ago. But they're just so applicable for the world that we live in. They're just so applicable to the times that we find ourselves in now. And as I've been studying and preparing to share today, I think the proverb that we're going to look at today is very fitting and, and very appropriate for where we're at as a culture and a world as well. We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 16, and we're going to be talking about pride and humility. We're going to be talking about this idea that Scripture calls us, if we truly want to be wise people, that we are a humble people and that we place God in his proper place in our life, that that's what humility is truly about. And so this proverb that we're going to look at, look at it, it warns us of some of the pitfalls of pride and it encourages us of what it looks like to be humble people. So as we're talking about this topic of humility, I wanted to start off with asking you a question. I wonder if you you've ever been humbled before? Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, wow, that was, that was pretty humbling? Or maybe you look back and said, wow, I was humbled. You know, maybe as a parent, you've been humbled. Maybe in your workplace, you've been humbled in your relationship. I know for me, the older I get, anytime I take on an athletic endeavor, I feel humbled more and more. I just don't move the way that I used to. I, I could have hung with you, I promise. 20 years ago, you should have seen me, you know? I'm humbled in those moments. You can relate, right? It's not always fun to get humbled. I was, I was thinking about another experience that I had uh, not too long ago. I had this this friend of mine, and uh, he wanted to start these sessions for his organization. He runs an organization. I won't give you all the details of it, but he runs this organization. He wanted to have these weekly sessions where he was equipping the people in his organization with just some great content. He kind of wanted to add value to their lives. He wanted to help them grow into the people that God wanted them to be. And so he, he lined up like 10 weeks in a row of just awesome content. He was bringing in these great speakers a couple of them were like former NFL players, like high-level people that were going to equip and, and just kind of give to his organization and the people in it. And so he, he had this all lined up, and it was the day before the first event. Everybody was coming to the event, and the speaker that he had coming, I don't remember exactly who it was, they had to cancel 
Okay, so he had 24 hours, and, and I had a relationship with this guy, and so he calls me because we had already talked about it before. He says, my speaker canceled. Could you come in and be the first speaker for this event? And I'm like, okay, you know, and, and just a little bit about me. Like, I love teaching to our church. I love sharing the, the word of God with our congregation, but I don't consider myself like a public speaker. In fact, usually if I get asked to speak somewhere other than our church, I usually try to say no because I love talking to you guys, but I don't love just going around and being a public speaker. But anyway, I, I knew this guy. He was in a bind, and I said, yeah, you know, I'll help you out. I, I want to try to help you out. So I had a little bit of prep time, I felt like I had something decent to share with these people. I came up with a talk on priorities. It wasn't a church event, so I wasn't teaching the Bible. So I came up with this talk on priorities. I show up to the event. He introduces me. I get up in front of the organization, and I start talking about priorities. I feel like I'm sharing some good nuggets to this group of people. And I see this guy that I know who's organizing the event. He's kind of pacing around in the back. And uh, I'm like, okay, he's pacing. I don't know exactly what that means. It's weird when you're up on stage and, you know, you're not sure exactly what people are thinking. Okay, that's, that's fine. And I'm kind of watching him a little bit. And uh, he doesn't stop pacing. I'm thinking, okay, he seems a little bit nervous. And I had about 15 minutes. Well, about 10 minutes in, I noticed that he's kind of like, giving me like head nods and kind of trying to tell me like you might want to get off stage you know I'm thinking either there's an emergency or what I'm sharing isn't exactly what he wanted and so about 12 minutes in I have about 15 minutes he starts like making his way up the aisle to basically cut me off in the middle of this thing and you know he was super nice about it but I got the point I ended up wrapping up what I was sharing rather abruptly and he came up on on stage and he said you know give Brian a round of applause he said, I just want you all to know, it's going to get a lot better than that as we go forward <laughs> for the next 10 weeks. It's going to get a lot better. I'm not ripping on this guy. He did what he had to do, you know? Um, but I remember in that moment kind of being like, man, I just got humbled right there. <laughs> I think I just ate a nice piece of humble pie, you know, in that, that moment, you know? And they say, what, death and public speaking are people's two biggest fears. Some people fear public speaking more than death. I guess I got to experience that a little bit. And, uh, you know, uh, thankfully, I'm a, I'm a secure enough person in the Lord and who God created me to be that it didn't wreck my life or anything like that. But I was humbled. I was humbled in that moment. Maybe you've experienced something like that in your life. You know, we need to be humbled at times, don't we? We, we need to be humbled. Willie Nelson, some of you know him. He's an old, famous country singer. He wrote a song. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek song. But he's talking about the reality of how hard it is for us to be humble sometimes. And in the song, he says, Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. <laughs> I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's, hum it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best I can. It can be a struggle to put ourselves in the proper place and experience the humility that God wants us to have. And of course, we, we joke about it, right? Because we all know that it's something that we can struggle with. But the reality is, and Scripture teaches us, that pride, unchecked, can lead us to some really dangerous places. Pride, without us experiencing the humility of properly seeing ourselves before the God of the universe can lead us to hurt ourselves and can lead us to hurt others. It can lead us into really bad places. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, he says this. He says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And those are pretty powerful words. And so I think as we come to this topic today, as we've had fun with it getting up to this point, I want us also to realize that there is a a heaviness and a weightiness with having a proper view of who we are in light of God. And and we're going to discover that throughout Proverbs chapter 16 today. Here's the big idea. The big idea is this. Real wisdom, not just knowledge, real wisdom produces humility, not pride. Real wisdom produces humility, not pride. You know, there's a tendency, the more we know, to get more and more prideful. But real wisdom, not just knowledge, produces humility, not pride. And Scripture talks a lot about this importance of us being humble. But if if we're really honest, before we jump into the Scripture, I think we need to make sure that we understand that humility can be one of the most misunderstood Christian virtues that there is. When we talk about humility, oftentimes, some of us get confused with humility and what that really looks like. Some of us think that being humble just means constantly beating ourselves up, constantly tearing ourselves down. Some of us think the more insecure I am, that must mean that I'm a humble person. See, insecurity and humility do not go together. If you're an insecure person, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a humble person Being humble isn't just beating ourselves up, being insecure, being indecisive, questioning everything. That's not biblical humility at all. So let's open the pages of Scripture and let's figure out exactly what does it look like to be a humble person before the Lord. I want to look at Proverbs 16. We're going to jump around. There's a couple different sections that we're going to look at throughout this chapter. And I want to kind of break it down systematically into three main points, three main takeaways that this chapter teaches us about what it looks like to live humbly. And the first thing is this, living humbly means that we release control. Living humbly means that we release control. Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 3, if you want to open there with me, says this. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. And he will establish your plans. In the human, and then jump down to verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. See, the, the, the writer of Proverbs here is talking about our plans and how tightly we can get attached to our plans and how much control we may feel like we need in our lives. And one of the biggest indicators of how much pride we may have lurking within our hearts is our need for control, is our need to be in charge of everything. Because think about it for a minute. Think about when when you make a plan and you feel like you have to control it down to the very last detail. What are you communicating to the people around you? What we're saying is, I know better than you. If I do it, it's going to work out exactly how I want it to. It's going to work out the best. If I release control to you and let you get involved in this, it may not go the way that I think it should. And there can be pride in that. And even more than than just the people around us, some of us struggle with this, not just with our relationships with one another, but some of us struggle with this in our relationship with God. Some of us have such a perfect plan for our life that we think we know exactly how it's going to work out. I'll be married by 22, I'll start having kids by 24, I'll get the perfect job, we'll get the dream house, we'll, you know, work on and on and on, or whatever it might be. 
I know exactly how things are going to go. And the question for each one of us is, as we release the control to God, what happens when our plans don't work out? What happens when we think that we have a plan or we think that we know the way that it should go, but God doesn't give us that plan, that dream, that hope that we had for our life? How do you respond? I've seen people be so angry with God when they didn't get what they wanted in a relationship. People be so angry with God when, when their career doesn't go exactly how they hoped that it would go. So angry with God in a different situation. Now, of course, Scripture doesn't say that we're just supposed to go through life carefree, never have a plan, never have a direction. That's not at all what Scripture is saying. Of course, we're supposed to do our best to partner with God and seek His plan for our life and move forward in faith so that we can grow and mature and bring Him glory. Scripture isn't saying don't have a plan. What Scripture is saying is submit your plans to God. The way that we truly know if we're humble is if we work in partnership with God, we're continually submitting our plans to him and we're releasing them open-handed and saying, God, I want to step forward in faith as much as I can with the direction I think that you're calling me. But if it doesn't go there, my life doesn't go the way that I think it should or that the plan is, I'm going to trust you anyway. He will establish your plans. We help make the plans. We commit our plans to the Lord, but the Lord is the one who's sovereign. The Lord is the one who's in control. And so we have to release the control to him so that we can trust him. And when we don't, we're allowing pride to think that our plans are better than God's. You know, if we're not careful, as we go about life, there, there can be so many times where we're, we're, we're just afraid to take a step forward in faith because we want to control everything that we have. Faith inherently involves us to move forward and take risks for God, not knowing the control or the end product of what we're going to do. It's one of the reasons why I love being part of a, a church that plants other churches and, and does ministry and takes steps of faith because in every step of faith that we have as we're releasing our plans to God, we're saying, God, you are in control. When we planted this church in Athens and that group of people moves down there they have very little control right they don't know how many people are going to show up they don't know exactly how it's going to get funded but they're moving forward in faith releasing their plans to God taking a step forward and saying God you're the one that we're going to trust not ourselves you know control can be a hard thing to release some of us struggle with it more than others but it can be a struggle for all of us I was thinking about this, and I think I've shared versions of this before, but for me, one of the ways that, that my control issues or one of the times that my control issues always come up is when I'm flying on an airplane. If anybody can relate to that, somebody at the first service said, oh, I totally can relate. Uh, I'm, I'm a nervous flyer, okay? It's just the reality uh, of how I am. But as I've processed that, because every time, and this is no joke, every time I fly, it's like a spiritual discipline. It's like, a, it's like an encounter with God, you know, where I'm like, I'm a little bit closer to you here in the, in the air, and I might be real close to you after this plane either lands or doesn't land. And so... It's like this spiritual moment where I'm connecting with God and, uh, and, and there's something inside me that, that just doesn't like the reality that I'm not in control. You know, when you're in row 21B and the cockpit is clear up there and the door is locked, you have no control over what is happening in that plane. And you're taking off and you're going 500 miles an hour or whatever it is, and you're going 30,000 feet in the air. And, and there's something in me, and it's pride, if I'm really honest, 
that thinks, even though I have no clue how to fly a plane, oh, something really bad happened. I could probably help the pilot out, you know. I, I could probably get up there and give him advice or at least, you know, settle him down or maybe I'd take control of the, who knows what. And, and, and every time in those moments, it's like this spiritual encounter with God that, God, this is actually a picture of life way more than I even want to admit. I'm sitting in the back of the plane. I literally have no control. I just have to trust the people that are in charge. And as I'm flying, I'm reminded, God, that's what life is like. Of course I need to have a plan. Of course I need to partner with God. But at the end of the day, God is the one that is in control. God is the one that is in charge. So I might as well release my, my plans and say, God, I want to walk with you. I'm going to make plans, but I'm going to submit them to you because I trust in you. As we release control in our life, we humble our hearts. We put God in the place that he's already in, the sovereign creator of the universe, and we walk with him in a humble spirit, saying, God, whatever you bring my way, whether I view it as good, whether I view it as bad, whether I view it as hard, whether I view it as easy, I'm going to trust you and in faith live open-handed as I walk with you. Living humbly means we release control. Second thing is this. Living humbly means we live for him, not for ourselves. Living humbly means we live for him, not for ourselves. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 3 and 5, and then we'll jump down to 17 and 18. says this, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. It's a heavy verse. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. The highway of the upright avoids evil. Those who guard their ways preserve their life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Living humbly means we resist the temptation to enjoy or partake in evil. We resist the temptation to walk in the sin that the world so easily throws at us, and we can so easily get entangled in. You know, sin isn't something that, that we like to talk about as, as a world and as a culture very much at all, is it? And, and some, to some extent, it can be an easy thing to talk about when we're talking about sin generally in the world, although our world has really tried to say that sin doesn't even exist, right? That, that, that as long as you feel good about it, as long as, as you're not hurting anybody, then, then it's probably okay for you to do that. There, there's not that, that moral grounding that comes from understanding who God is. Our world has tried to say that there is no such thing as evil. And yet scripture confirms over and over again that when we go against the plans that God has for our life, it is called sin. It can be evil. And as we partake in that, the root issue for all of us when we struggle with sin, is a sense of pride. Because when we willingly walk into sin, what are we saying to God? God, I know better than you. I know that you gave me this command or told me to avoid this thing, but, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it's better for my life than you do. I know how to have fun. I know how to get the most out of my life. And if it includes partaking in something that God has called me not to, and I do it anyway, then there is a root of pride that can lead to a very hard place. You know, oftentimes when we think of pride, we just think about like a, a kind of a cocky attitude, you know, or, or just an arrogance that comes out of us. But here, 
the, the author of, of Proverbs, he's telling us that pride isn't just an attitude problem. Pride is much more than an attitude problem. Pride, it says, goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. And so when we engage in this prideful attitude that we know better than God, it can lead us to dark places. It can lead us to wreaking havoc on our relationships. It can lead us to hurting the people around us. It can lead us to separating ourselves from God and the people that God has brought into our life and our church family and the people that we care about most. And the root of so much sin happens with pride, thinking that we know better than God. You see, our character, it's a direct connection to whether we trust in God or whether we trust in ourselves. And so if you're here, and, and I say this without any guilt or shame because we've all been in these situations before. If we're here and we're continually struggling, struggling with a certain sin, one of the questions to ask yourself is, do I truly believe that God knows better than me in this area of my life? Do I truly believe that God's commands are meant to give me abundant life and bring the joy that comes from walking and knowing with him and read his word and allow it to soak over you so that you get your heart into a place where you humble yourself and you trust his plan for your life. That's one of the best ways that we can resist evil and sin within our lives. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 7, it says this, All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he, what? He cares for you. Scripture tells us that we're to humble ourselves. Remember the verse that we started with. Jesus said, if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. And if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in the good end of that exchange. I want to be on the end of the exchange where I am continually trying to humble myself, trying to guard my heart, trying to put myself in the right place. Again, doesn't mean beating myself up. Doesn't mean thinking less of myself, saying negative things about myself. It means trusting in the Lord more. Putting Him in the proper place in my life so that I can exalt Him and continue to walk with Him and make Him known. Not draw attention to myself, but draw attention to the God of the universe. Third and finally, living humbly means this, that we use our words to build others up, not tear others down. Living humbly means that we use our words to build others up, not tear others down. Check out Proverbs 16, verses 21 through 24. It says, The wise in heart are called discerning, and gracious words promote instruction. Prudence is a fountain of life to the prudent, but folly brings punishment to the fools. The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instructions. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. You see, if there's inward pride in our hearts, unchecked pride that we're not dealing with, it's going to flow out in our words. It's going to flow out in our actions, as we found out right before this, and it's going to flow out in our words. Remember what Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if we're constantly thinking too highly of ourselves, it will come out. And the words that we use and the way that we talk to others 
and the way that we talk about others. And yet the, the author of Proverbs says, listen, allow gracious words to flow out of you. It's like a, a honeycomb. It's, it's so sweet and healing to the people around you. When we're truly humble, we use our words in powerful ways. You know, our words, they're such an important, powerful tool that we have. They're one of the greatest tools we have in building others up and pointing people towards Jesus and exalting him. Our actions and our words is basically all we have as people here on this earth. And so what can we do to center our hearts on the Lord, humble our hearts so that we can use our words to point people towards him. I know for myself, I, I have two things that I'm, that I'm constantly thinking about when I think about the words that I use when I'm speaking. Because those of us who are maybe a little bit more extroverted, who like to talk a little bit more, we can use our words in very powerful ways, and we can also get in trouble a lot. And so I I'm fall into that camp. So I'm literally constantly trying to check myself, and I'm certainly not perfect in this area, but I'm thinking of these two things often, especially when it comes to assessing how much pride there is in my life with my words. The first thing is, how much am I talking about myself? How much am I talking about myself and the conversations that I'm having? Now, listen, of course, it's good to be open with your life. Of course, it's good to share. You know, if you have two people sitting down for coffee and you never talk about yourself, that's not much of a conversation, right? Uh, I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't ever talk about what, yourself, but what I, what I am saying is as you're out sharing, talking with people, are you using those conversations to draw more and more attention to you or are you using them to build others up and point them towards Jesus? What's your, your main goal in the conversations that you're having? I'm, I'm constantly asking myself, am I asking questions? Am I trying to get to know people? Am I trying to draw them out about what God's doing in their life? Am I trying to, to point them towards Jesus? Or am I falling into the trap of, of subtly pointing the conversation to me and my interests and what I have going on? And it's something that I'm continually checking because if I'm constantly pointing the conversation to me, there's probably some pride that needs to be dealt with within my heart and within my life. And then the second thing is this. When I'm talking to others, how am I speaking about them or other people? Am I, am I saying positive things? Am I talking about their strengths? Am I talking about the areas that I see God working in their lives? Or am I tempted to talk about them? talk about their shortcomings, to talk about their failures, to talk about their weaknesses. Have you ever noticed, I don't know, maybe it's just more interesting, but it sure feels easier at times to talk about others' failures and weaknesses. It sure seems easier at times to, to use our words to talk about the shortcomings and failures of the people that we, surround, we are surrounded by. But can we make a commitment to not use those conversations that we have. Because the heart of that oftentimes is us needing to feel better about ourselves, pride in our life, so we can tear other people down so that we can push ourselves up. You know, in ministry, um, there's times where, where people might come to me and say something negative about another church or, or another pastor, you know? You just get in conversations and the, there's a temptation for people to do that. And I, I, I've tried to make this commitment. You know, we have such good relationships with the other churches in this town and in this area. And I've tried to make a commitment that, that when any, whenever anybody talks to me about another church or another pastor that loves Jesus, I'm always going to speak positively of them. Even if, even if the other person is saying something negative. And I'm trying not to make it awkward, but if somebody says something negative about another pastor, I'll just, I'll, I love that person. You know, they've been here trying to serve the Lord for a long time. We have a great relationship. 
oh man, they're, they're, they're really trying to follow Jesus and seek God during this time. And I just want to direct the conversation back to the Lord and back to what God is doing in their life and in their church because it's so tempting to use our words, tear others down, to build ourselves up rather than to exalt Jesus. And so ask yourself the question, are you living humbly with your words and the way that you talk and in the way that you share? You know, as we close this idea of, of dealing with the humility that God wants each and every one of us to have, I think it's so important that we look to Jesus because he really is the ultimate example of a humble servant. You know, if we hear this message and we think, yeah, I just need to do better at being humble. I'm going to try harder. We're going to fail. Humility isn't something that you can just work harder at and try harder at and put more time and energy into and then all of a sudden you become humble. Humility comes when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we put ourselves in proper place because of him. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul is talking about Jesus in, in verses 8 and 9. He says this, And being found in the appearance as a man, he did what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the, the name that is above every other name. See, Jesus humbled himself so much so that he went to the cross for you and for me. Jesus was the picture of perfection, right? He was the only one who doesn't deserve punishment, who doesn't deserve death. And yet he humbled himself before God and went to the cross. Why? Because he values us. He wanted to make a way for us to be reunited with God. So he humbled himself and God exalted him. And now when we sing songs and when we worship Jesus with our life, we're exalting him because of the humility that he had when he went to the cross for you and for me. And so if you hear anything today, Hear the reality of the gospel, that our sins have separated us from God, that, that our sins, if, if left unchecked, will always separate us from the God of the universe. But Jesus, our humble, suffering servant, went to the cross for you and for me. He paved the way. He set the way of what it looks like to live humbly. And so the more that we fix our eyes on Jesus and what he's done for us, it will bring us to a place of not false humility, where we think less and less of ourselves but true humility where we realize how wonderful and powerful Jesus is and we offer more and more of our hearts and our lives, our words, our actions, everything that we have to him so that he can be exalted. We can decrease and he can increase and we can make his name known. So I'm going to pray and we're going to spend some time taking communion together, singing and worshiping Jesus for all that he's done for us. If you bow your heads with me and pray.